Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Secure Ventures Podcast. The host, Kyle McNulty, interviews cybersecurity founders about what they are building. I enjoy it because Kyle focuses on their technology, what it solves, why they build it, where it fits in the market. Also, listeners can understand the why of these startups. In some ways, it's a great compliment to my own podcast, where I focus on the go-to-market side, not on the technology side. He's had some great guests on recently, for example, the CEO of Reality Defender, when they talked about the ins and outs of deep fate detection. Uh, he's had the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Security, and also the co-founder of Radical, Chris Peterson, who was incidentally a founder of Logarithm, where they talk about the role of AI in the SOC. This is not a paid promotion. I just simply enjoy what Kyle is doing with his interviews and get a lot out of them. Check it out. It's the Secure Ventures podcast. Now on with this episode. Welcome to the Sales Bluebird podcast, where we believe that it's plain wrong that sales teams at startups don't get the help to succeed like sales teams do at their bigger and more well-known competitors. If you're a seller or a sales leader at a B2B startup, especially if it's in the cybersecurity space, you're in the right place today. I am your host, as usual, Andrew Monahan, and welcome to episode 97 of the Sales Bluebird podcast. Our guest today is Aurelien Motier, or Ray, as, as I, I call him, because I'm kind of dumb with accents and pronouncing things properly. So Ray is the CEO at Operatics. Ray, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you to have me, Andrew. 97, huh? That's good. You know, pod fade is usually seven, right? And uh, I'm up to 97. It's taking a little bit to get there, but uh, I'm pretty pleased yeah. with how things are going there. So it's okay to call you Ray, is that right? It's perfectly fine, yes. Ray, why don't you tell us about Operatics quickly, because I think it's going to sure. frame the rest of our conversation today. No problem, Andrew. So uh, Operatics, uh, so as, as you mentioned, I am the CEO and co-founder of Operatics. We started Operatics exactly 10 years ago in January 2012. So it's a, it's a month of anniversary. It's the month of our 10th anniversary. Uh, and, and what we do at Operatics, we help IT technology companies mainly software organization. We have a few high-level services organization also in our portfolio, and we help them to achieve three things, accelerate sales cycles, increase average deal value, win more business, okay? Uh, we've got different level of services. So if we want to go into nitty-gritty, we have uh, account-based everything type of services, which is usually relatively pertinent for clients who have an average deal value over 100, 150K, ARR, complex sales cycles, multi-persona, buyers, type of process, and usually targeting relatively large accounts. Okay, so what we help them to do is to identify who is winning the accounts and plant the seed, adapt the message to all the different individuals that will be responsible in a, in a consensus of, of buying a solution. We then have a, a, a bit more of a traditional type of sales service or, or pipeline generation service for the mid-market. Um, which is basically using a technology stack in which we will inject data, curated data, uh, and use the technology stack uh, or marketing stack to identify the people that seems to be the most interested about the value proposition of our clients. And that tech stack will then spit up opportunities or interesting leads to then the human being and element of our team that will do the qualification and the distribution. The last part of our offering is around the channel. 
where we help our clients to accelerate the recruitment of channel partners, accelerate the enablement of their channel partners, but more from a sales and marketing perspective. We don't, we leave the technical side to our clients. And most importantly, Andrew, we help them to accelerate what we call the activation or the reactivation of those partners. And what it means, what we mean by activation, we mean actually getting a net new partners to revenue. So getting them to sell something. And we know that's difficult because it's a doggy dog world. You only get a percentage when you sell something. And some of the solutions we are selling are not easy to sell. There are six months, nine months sell cycle. So, so that's where we get involved to support them in getting their first few deals. So they can start to see some margin and, and, and then can invest or the reactivation. So we work with a, not going to mention any name today, but uh, relatively large companies who have that 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenue is coming from 20% of their channel partners and they want to make it a little bit more even. So we are going to the 80% that are dormant and we try to resuscitate them. We try to bring them back to life. We try to get them to sell again. Um, as I said, we only work for IT technology companies and in terms of coverage, we cover pretty much the whole world. The three territories that we don't do at the moment are China, Japan, and Korea. Uh, but we are looking at opening an office in Singapore later on this year and, and tackle that uh, those territory. So that's that's my intro, Andrew. So if I'm the head of sales at a startup, uh, I could look to Operatics to take on some things I'm thinking about. I need some uh, help actually to execute on, to do better, to start, things like that. Is that right? That's one of the traditional use cases. Yes. Um, okay. the, 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 the startups we tend to work with have, they usually get injected with, with a fair amount of investment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we see this investment growing in the cybersecurity space in particular. Some of the valuation, some of the investment that are coming into, into cyber tech companies are, are relatively large. And that creates two issues for sales leader. Issue number one is that when you get a big investment, all eyes on you. The VCs are breathing down your neck. You've got to get it done. You've got to do it quickly and you've got to do it with the less risk possible. Okay. Uh, and if you are that person, you can come to a company like us. If you're in the cybersecurity space, we've got around, I think active right now, we've got around 95 or 96 active cybersecurity clients. So that means that my team in the US and my team in Europe, all across the MEA, we speak to your buyers on a daily basis. We know those right. buyers, right? So that's how we accelerate stuff for them. We've got experience. We've got people who know who the CISO is. It's less training. It's more of a plug and play type of approach. Yeah. So the startups that I work with, I mean, their, their challenges, their things they're thinking about is the classic ones, right? We need to talk to more people. I don't know anyone. Actually, there's probably two or three companies that are doing very nicely and getting inbound and, and getting their name out there. The rest of them are struggling to, not struggling, but they're trying to get more, right? Their AEs are not overloaded with opportunities and, you know, all the bad behaviors that go with that if you're not overloaded. That's one area that I see them really think about it. How do we get more coming in? And then yeah. secondly, I see them thinking about is we want to try different things, right? We want to, maybe we're selling to enterprise. We want to try mid-market or we're doing mid-market. We want to sell to enterprise. We want to try that out. And they're looking for creative ways to go do that rather than saying, let's throw some heads at it. Um, going back to the first one, how, how would you recommend that a head of sales thinks about the the engagement of a company like yours or not, right? When do they do it themselves? When do they not do it themselves and say, we need more meetings? Yeah. 
It's it's a, it's a great question, tremendous question. My obviously I'm a bit biased because I'm the CEO of the company. I've been do, been at it for ten years, so I, I do believe that we and, and we are doing well. So I do believe that we we are a great solution for for those individuals. Um, I think we need to look at the choices they've got. Okay, um, and, and choice number one is to say, well, what's important for me? Is it important for me to build an empire and have my the, my own team and doing it? And have, do I have the bandwidth to manage them or do I need to recruit a manager to, to manage them? And, and usually the answer to that question or one of the big factors that, that impact that do I build my team internally or not is there is technically two. First one is geography, okay? If you are that sales leader and you are based in San Jose or in California in the Bay Area, building an SDR team is very difficult very competitive. People are extremely pricey. And in fact, the good one, you will never find their CV on Indeed or whatever. They just get they just get scooped away and they never have to, you know, edit their CV or look for a job. So the war for talent is really real. Okay. But also because you are so much in a rush, you don't have the time to really find those diamonds in the rough and you know make them better. You need to have someone that can just come in and start key. You need to recruit someone that can come and do the job. You don't have the time to train them. And that's the difficulty. So finding people who are job ready, that are good, that your competitors have not really scooped, that will come and work for you for a solution that never sold in the past, that's a bit difficult, okay? The second thing is that, as you mentioned uh, in, in your two part of the question, there is a sort of, how do we go about it? With my target market? What's the right message? With the ICP? You know, I'm just coming out of a call with a company that's been at it for five years. They've got pretty much 250 clients. They are still figuring out if they should start from a bottom-up, sorry, a top-down or bottom-up approach. Like we spent an hour discussing about that. Um, and I think that's where we have something that is fundamentally critical, is the creation of a sales playbook, okay? I do believe that you've got different level of BDRs, whatever we want to call them, but those people who are generating pipeline that will create that pipeline, that will create the sales meetings. You've got one category, which is easier to find, which is the scale-up category, which are the people that can do the job if they've got a playbook, if they know what to say, if they've got templates of emails, and they've got a, they've got a scenario to follow. Okay? What's rare... What's precious is the guy who is the pioneer, the person that not only is able to adapt their message, tech slap, stand up, dust off, go again, and adapt the message, but also someone who is able to communicate back to management without you know, messing up any relationship and say, hey, you know what, Andrew, I don't think we should target those people. I've been doing that. I've done some stats. We should try that. Finding the people that can do that is really difficult. Usually, you don't have it in the BDR, and it's a mix of... BDR and the manager of a BDR that can look at the stats, the intelligence collected from that BDR and then give you some guidance, okay? The chance we've got at Operatics is that all our managers in the operation team have started from the bottom. So they all have done the job and they have been successful at the job. So these are people that can see through things and, and defining what's working, what's not working, okay? Let me play devil's advocate a little bit on that, right? So one of the things I've heard from sales leaders is, that's one of the reasons why they like to keep things close, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard to find the pioneer and the ICP and the right messaging, but we got to own that, right? We got, we got to do that ourselves because, you know, this is critical to our success. We don't want to outsource it to, to someone else. Is that what you hear a little bit as well? I hear that. Um, 
usually when I hear that, and it's a very early stage company, we probably get a phone call three, four months later saying, okay, we've tried and, you know, we would like to do it. I mean, you know, I guess the analogy that I would take is if I've got a wall to paint at home, I can go to the shop, get some paint, get some brush and do it myself. Or I can just pay a little bit more and get a professional to do it. And I invest my time somewhere else where I will be more productive doing something I enjoy. And that's exactly the same thing. When I get to this conversation, I say, look, what sort of guys are you? Do you wash your car? Do you have a jet wash and you wash your car in your drive? Or do you get something, someone to wash it for you? Do you do your own garden or do you have a gardener? Right? So, and I think you've got to be, we can't sell, we can't sell to anyone. We can't be a fit for everyone. The, the clients that come to us, the advantage that this is, okay, those guys know the market. They have data. The data is ready. Okay. They probably know if and when people would be interested by my stuff. They probably would have an idea or an understanding of who would be the right ICP because they've done it. They've got experience right. in doing it. You know, we've got 120 people, BDR, SDR, worldwide, that only focus on cybersecurity for many clients, okay? Right. So that Intel, it's, it's, it's kind of the IP. It's what you won't get from your own team. So what I say to people that, that comes to me with that argument, Andrew, I say, look, it's going to be very simple. If you are a persistent person, and because you are smart, because you are a sales leader of a tech startup, and I'm sure you are smart, potentially smarter than us and smarter than me, it may take you nine months to do it, but I'm sure you're going to get it right. I can do it in three months. Do you have nine months or do you want to get it done in three months? Because you're going to fail. It's it's, it's inevitable. We've all failed. We are professional of it. We do that for a living. We still sometimes fail. We are human. It's impossible to get it right all the time. Okay. But you will do it. You are a smart guy. You will do it. I'm sure you're going to get it right, but it's going to take you more time. I can short on that time frame. Okay? Yeah. That's usually the argument that, that we use. Or, or the second argument is that if you are not persistent, that's fine. Go and build up your team. I'll catch up with you in three months to see where you're at. And usually when I call them three months later, they are still in the recruitment process. And, and that's yeah. where they say, okay, well, we, we, we're going to discuss again. So I, I do think that, uh, people generally mis, uh, misunderstand, let's say, what it really takes to to spin up a BDR, SDR type team. One of the things I, well, what I see a lot is uh, they do want to try and do it themselves, right? They, they, they want to assign a headcount or two. They might have, they got sales leader, maybe two or three AEs, and they're thinking, okay, well, let's add in uh, an SDR, BDR function. And I think that the challenge that I see people running into a lot is that uh, they don't invest the time and, uh, frankly, the tools for that BDR, SDR to be successful, right? Because yeah. what they end up doing is they sucked into board and CEO and leadership meetings. They've got to focus on deals that are live in the pipeline and they're high impact. Usually, if they get referred in by the board, they can't just leave them for someone else to go and work on. And the poor SDR, BDR is sitting there, you know, trying to do their best they can, but they're not getting the focus that they, they really deserve in order to be successful. I think it's yeah. a trap that we've got to be careful of as, as sales leaders that we, we, don't, we don't do that. And then after three or six months, we declare it not working, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it, you know, you're right. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a function in the business that doesn't get respect. Okay. Uh, when in fact is the function that is probably 
well, again, in my eyes, but I'm a bit biased, is one of the most important functions. Why is there not a seat at the board for the person who is responsible for generating pipeline? For that, you know, the person responsible for the inside sales team. Yeah. yeah. Usually you don't have that. They report to a CRO or they report to a CMO. Um, and, and the voices don't tend to be heard, but it's one of the most important functions. It's your ears on the street. It's about listening to prospect, voice of the customer. What are they saying about the competitors? Is all that information coming back up? In some companies, yes, because you've got leaders that are extremely respectful of that of that of that function. And usually these are leaders that have done the job themselves. We've got some yeah. fantastic clients that know exactly how to strike a relationship with a BDISDR. And we've got some beautiful partnerships that have been going for three years, five years, six years, where it's the same BDRs on our side working with the same AEs. And, and we've got AEs that are absolutely fantastic at giving the social recognition that those BDRs DR receive. The last thing that I would add is that hey, you've done the job, Andrew, you know, you know what it is to pick up the phone. And, and I think it's, it's becoming a little bit more difficult with times because there is a lot of people that give us a bad name. Unfortunately, there is lots of companies that do a terrible job at what we do and they do it cheaply. And that's it's, it's horrible, but they are kind of, I guess, driven by the demon of doing it cheap, a paper performance and yeah. all that sort of great stuff. Um, so is it their fault or is it the market pushing them? You know, that's, that's, that's probably a topic for another convo. But the point that I'm trying to make is that you get a lot of rejection in that job. Okay. Yeah. It's tough enough to wake up and, you know, nobody likes to go and speak with a stranger. Or it's, it's awkward. It's, it's bizarre. It's not easy. And and when you get that rejection and you do a tough job and on top of that, you don't get respected by the people you try to feed and help. It's just it's just very difficult to survive, right? You've got to put yourself in yeah. the shoes of that person. You need to have empathy for that team. And, and we so wonder why they I, <laughs> You know, lots of people say, you look at the salaries of SDR, BDR, it's mad. Like we've seen some guy uh, in North America living for a base salary of $120,000. Oh. Uh, yeah, the argument of the person that's recruited them, which is one of our clients, is to say, well, your guy is producing three times what my guys are producing internally. And they deal with inbound and he's doing outbound. Okay. So he's doing without no MQL, nothing. And mm. I pay them around 60K. So if he's doing the job of three people, technically, I should pay that for 180. So if I give him 120, I'm saving 60. It's a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> so the salary go crazy because people think that money is what those SDR, BDR want. Having run a company of BDR, SDR myself, I can tell you that what they want is progression. What they want is respect. What they want is social recognition of what they are doing. And that's really what excites them. Of course, the paycheck is important because they are in sales, but they don't leave job because of money most of the time. They leave job because of managers. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I can imagine that. Just going back to what you're saying about uh, you know, how hard it is, I'll tell you a quick story. So when I moved over to the U.S. from the U.K., it was January of 2000. And I got a Bay Area territory, um, and I, I did my ABC, right? A, B, a accounts, B accounts, C accounts. And uh, I targeted 25 systems. Well, there were no systems in those days. You're directors of information security, right? Whoever was the lead person for security yeah. in, in these companies, right? And I, I, I targeted I 25. And in the first four months, just by cold calling, I booked meetings with 17 out of the 25, right? 
And I thought, yeah, that's really good, right? That, that's a good success rate, you know, bit of bit of hard work pounding the phones. But, you know, I got there and that was a that was high, 17 out of 25. The, about eight years ago was the last time I actually had a role where I was at a cybersecurity company and all the leads were my own, right? There was no, I wasn't getting anything from, anything from anyone else. So cold calling was part of it. And it was a grind, right? I, I was just getting nothing like the through rates, the, the, uh, the accept rates as, as before. So I'm sure that's common, right? I mean, everyone's been hitting these people up a lot over the years. There's more vendors now than there were back then. And I'm wondering what that means for, you know, when you think about pipeline generation, meeting, booking, all the things that a classic SDR, BDR would do, what does it mean for them about how they're successful and how they have to go about doing their jobs? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, I, I think you need to look at uh, – you, you need, we need to define success. What is success, okay? Um, is success a big commission check at the end of the month? Is success having the right level of conversation and enjoying what you are doing? Is success generating a lot of meetings? Is success generating a lot of pipeline? Is it quantity versus quality? I mean, you know, we, we, first of all, I think we, it's important to define success. And yeah, I know it sounds really basic, but we have a customer success team that just does that with clients. And I can, what I can tell you, Andrew, is that sometimes the success change on a quarterly basis when you are in a startup definition of success. You start a at program least, and people are like, you know what, get, get me meetings, right? I don't care. Get me out of there, right? And then they get to the end of the year and say, oh, my God, no, I want people that are ready to buy, but ready to buy yesterday, right? <laughs> right. So expectation can change and you need to manage that. And, and, you know, one of the big issues we've got is that the life spam or the life cycle of a sales leader is also evolving, you know, people don't stay in job for three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, like 18 months, two years, you are a hero. Yeah. Over two years, months. you are super yeah. loyal. Um, 19 months is the, uh, is the average right now. So, so that's the thing to take into consideration. You know, we tend to do two things. So we, there, there is three angles of success. And, and again, the, the, the definition of success may vary from one client to another. So for me to tell you exactly what success is, you know, what I can tell you is that for, from my perspective, the long-term success is qualitative pipeline. It's low volume, high quality, high conversion, great conversation. Now, that's not what some clients want because sometimes we work with a very large company and we work with an head of lead generation. And the reason why they sign a contract with us is because they want to create a lot of leads to put in the system because this is how they are being incentivized. So again, is it the right thing to do? Is it a necessary evolve? You know, we, we, we've got to, we work with our clients and we, you know, we are here to support them to whatever they want to do. And, and, you know, but the right thing to do is to generate pipeline is to have quality yeah. conversation that can convert. Now, from regarding your question, which is how do we see that from an SDR, BDR perspective? I think you have two things. Gen if you ask someone to just get meetings, and that's why I hate the paper performance meeting stuff and, you know, clients and you, how many meetings did you get me? If I ask you to get meetings, you're going to get me, get me meetings. If I ask you for five, you may get me three good ones and two shitty ones because, you know, it's you need to make your number and you need to make your commission. Am I driving the right attitude? Probably not. Right. Am I feeling good about it? Are you feeling good about it? Probably yes. So I think there is two things. There is a commission check, which is basically you are paid on performance. And then you've got the gamification along the way where you are paid or recognized 
probably not paid, but recognized, social recognition or you know, recognition amongst the group of people you belong of, you belong to, through doing the right things. So what I say to my team is gamification for attitude, paycheck for results. Okay. But then okay. not every single program is equal. Sometimes we've got campaigns which are, I remember when we first started to work with Palo Alto Networks. And we started to, you know, back in the days was pretty much early, uh, probably early 2000, well, probably just before 2010 that we started to work with them. As you said, there was no CISO pretty much then. You were, you were speaking to the head of network or head of infrastructure. There may have been a guy who was dealing with security, but he had no budget, right? So you had to speak to the network people who used to have the money. I was saying to them, so look, we can get, we can help you to get people off Facebook. That's what the firewall does. And I, what? You know, it's, that was a very easy message because people had a massive issue with Facebook. When Facebook came out, everybody was on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you've got another message where you may sell, I don't know, without mentioning any company name, you sell a, a DDoS or a WAF or endpoint security that doesn't have too much to differentiate. And that's difficult because you get into a situation where you, Andrew, may not be satisfied with what you've got at the moment, but you tell me, look, I can't speak to you. I'm engaged with these people until September 2023. So call me back three months before that and we discuss about changing. But right now, I sign a contract, I mean, with them. Okay. So I think commodity versus, um, commodity versus disruptive is also something to take into consideration when you look at incentivizing and setting up what the targets are, and also the way you go about it. Because we are specialists and we live in Brazil, we just kind of segment every part of the process. So we've got different teams from inbound response management, which is taking leads and converting them into opportunities, versus outbound prospecting. When you do inbound, it's about product knowledge. You know, uh, if I contact you because I want to buy your uh, your uh, an electric car from you, I'm going to ask you questions straight away about the range, about uh, whatever, you know, question that I may want to ask you about the car, but I go straight into the detail. If you are calling someone who is driving a petrol car to sell them an electric car, you'll have to elevate the conversation as to what's the benefit of driving an electric car versus a petrol car. So you create that. Right. And that drives something after that also, Andrew, which is the expectation of the prospect in the first meeting. If I am window shopping, find you online, put a request online for you to contact me. I've got a BDR to call me, book the meeting, you do a demo. I want the demo. I want to have a technical conversation. I'm interested. I've got a budget. I'm pretty much ready to go. Okay. If you do the opposite, which is going after someone setting up a meeting from cold, you basically have a prospect that says, look, you said something to me that creates a light bulb moment. Okay. But you are basically telling me that I'm not doing what I'm doing right now properly. Hmm. Develop on that. And what you want to have is a sales guy that is capable of going to that meeting, keep their laptop in their bloody bag and have a conversation with that person about their business and what they are trying to achieve versus, you know, vomiting a demo or letting their pre-sales guy speaking about the demo. And, and trust me, sometimes we see clients who are struggling with that. We, they ask us to go at the sea level and create the demon, but they don't have a sales team that actually can elevate to that sort of conversation. So... I imagine that's kind of frustrating because, you know, the, the feedback that will probably come back to you is these meetings are not very strong or not very good or, you know, some sort of variation on that. When in reality, the execution from the, the client side, you know, could be improved, let's say, right? Yeah, we, we very much try to, we have a very honest sales team. 
Okay, uh, they have a commission. They, they are paid on revenue, on uh, clients' expansion. So basically, satisfaction. So you know how much our clients are spending with us and how long they are staying with us, um, and also the performance of the program, our sales yeah. team, even if they don't deliver themselves. Okay, so they are tasked to go and find clients that have the right expectations. If I right. get onto a call and someone asks me the question, "Do you have a pay per performance model?" massive red alert if i go on to the call and someone says, okay you're gonna book meeting from just the name of the company i do nothing but just give you a list uh but do you qualify bent do you do bent qualification mm. absolutely red light you don't want to yeah. we don't want to work with those guys these are people that don't get it these right. are people that just clearly don't get it and there is no point working with someone that don't get it you know because you can't qualify and bent is stupid as well. When we said do solution selling, I don't think it's, 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 you should, anyway, let's not get there. Uh, I can get quite passionate about that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think expectation is that we, you're going to help us to open up a door in a meeting, in a, in a, in a large account. The opportunity is 200, 300K down the line. We've got to get there before our competitors. Our job is to go and create the demand, not to respond to the demand. But that's a big push, you know, again, without mentioning any companies, but we, we worked with a, a software vendor, like a cybersecurity software vendor that got acquired at the end of last year. Um, very successful company, but very successful because they had lots of inbound. So people coming onto their website, knowing about their solution. And I think without being rude, it, it kind of drove a little bit of complacency from the sales team. Oh yeah, and when they when COVID really hit them and they could not participate to events and generate leads, the the leads generated from the website were not sufficient. The inbounds were not sufficient. They turned to us and say, "Okay, we try to do outbound, but our team, our inside team, are struggling to do the outbound." Okay, so they turned to us and we were successful in getting them meeting. But the expectation of their sales guys was that we would give them a meeting with a CISO fully qualified from cold. Okay. <laughs> And we it's... told them, I said, well, we can't do that. But if we do that, we will have to take the first two meetings with the prospect. Mm. We need to have a first meeting with them to do the qualification and then potentially a second meeting to do you know, a bit more technical. And then we can come back to you with what you want. But I can't do that from a three, four, five minutes phone call with someone who's <laughs> never spoke to me before. And they will tell me, you know what? Let me tell you about my cybersecurity posture. Oh, yes, mm. I need you. We've been attacked right, right. left, and center. Okay? It's And, and that's... That's why we need to be careful and we've got red lights in the process. And if people yeah. don't understand what we can do for them, and we are very honest about what we can do and what we can't do, we just don't work with them. Well, let me ask you something on uh, success. I know it's, this is going to be a little bit generic, right? Um, but I work with a few companies. Uh, I wouldn't say any of them are overburdened with a flow of inbound leads right now, right? So their FDR, BDR teams that they're working with are mostly outbound, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that if I was to make a huge generalization across these companies, I would say that the, the benchmark is one good meeting booked a week per BDR, SDR, given it's mostly outbound. Does that sound like it's about right to use? Does it sound a little bit low, a little bit high? What, 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 do, you, what do you reckon? Uh, if I, was to well, play I know there's lots of factors. <laughs> yeah, if I was to play devil advocate, I'd say define good meeting. Um, but look, I, I know what you're saying. I, mean, um, I think it's low. 
Uh, I think it's low because that would probably be around the four meetings per month. Um, what we task our team to do is anywhere between 10 to 12. Okay. okay. Again, you need to be, you need to be very careful about how you set targets because you would have clients that have a big name. So for example, if you work with a, oh, yeah. a Google or an Oracle or people are maybe more likely to say, oh, you know what? We already work with them and that we use the system. So yeah, like, yes, it's kind of, and, and also what, what, what does Google want to talk to me about? Right. So, so, so if you're a smaller company, you've got a little bit less of a, of a name and a brand. So you see, you've got to take that in consideration to answer your question very simply. And if we kind of look at an average, I would say that 10 to 12 sales accepted leads, which is meetings that are being accepted by the prospect and the, 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 the AE should be the average per month. Okay. That's right. roughly around two to three per week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or 0.5 a day, right? If you, if you factor in 20 working days in the, in the month. Now, what you need to look at is how many of those meetings are actually going to take place. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we allow for a drop rate in the US, which is slightly higher than in Europe. I don't know why, but there is a little bit less commitment in North America from prospect than we have in Europe. But if you go above 15, 20% drop rate, you've got one of three issues. We have not articulated the value of the meeting. The meeting has been booked too far ahead or, um, or we just had the bad apple in our team that twisted the arm of the prospect to say yes for the meeting and then they cancel it because they don't see the value. They just wanted to get rid of the guy. And then you need to look at the conversion of the meeting that take place into SQLs, into sales right. qualified lead, early stage opportunity in your system. And for us, the rule of thumb is anywhere between 40 to 55%. Okay. 55% will be the disruptive vendor. 40% will be your more classic as I mentioned, DDoS, WAF, uh, cyber, you know, the cyber classic that you've already got. You already got one. So that's the call. That's the uh, conversion from first meeting to opportunity, right? Yeah. Okay. That, that seems, that, that seems above average to me. I, I know companies working along the 30%, 35% uh, mark. So that, that'd be a good result, right? Yeah. I mean, again, we are in a, we're in a comfortable position, uh, Andrew. We, we've been at it for 10 years. Um, we've got a management team that, you know, most of our guys would have five, six years experience in running program of that nature. Um, we have data, which data is a big, big, big issue everywhere, particularly in Europe, maybe less. So everybody thinks that getting discover.org or zoom info in the US is, is the silver bullet. But you know, the reality is that if your name is in discover.org, and you are a CIS and there is your mobile number and you must be pestered by literally thousands of dialers, you know, on a daily basis. So sometimes getting out of this database and curating some other data and actually doing a real prospecting job, which is engaging with companies and trying to find the right people and having conversation and, you know, developing from one conversation to another, like a pinball, you know, going, going around the place is, is more successful. Um, but that's, that's the conversion that we see because we sure. are, I guess we are experts in what we do. So, so yeah, we, we do it, a bit, we, we do it with a little bit more method. Do you find that your sell, your own sellers, are they engaging with the, the CMO or the CRO most often at startups? So it depends on the size, Andrew. Um, you know, 
uh, if you want to go, uh, if for the very early stage one, we actually speak with VCs and PEs and the people who inject the money. That's that's your quickest sell cycle. Um, so when you speak with those guys, you start to work with one, two, three companies in their portfolio. The next startup that comes in that needs injection, they just introduce you to the CEO. Nobody thinks about it. People sign on the dotted line and off you go. Sometimes right. too quickly. So sometimes we've got to calm them down because it's too quick. And people who make quick decisions make quick decisions to, to turn them back as well. Um, hmm. When the company, when you get to Serie A, B, I would say CMO, CRO, and CEO, okay, uh, are, the, are the three main personnel we would want to talk to. When you start to go to C, D, E, F, or IPO, you may drop to marketing director, VP sales, or okay. sales of origin, and then you've got the big one. So if you want to go and sell to Microsoft, if you want to go and sell to Google, uh, someone with a marketing manager or a VP marketing or head of lead generation director or VP of lead gen for origin could be a fantastic, you know, these are people with massive budgets. So depending on the size, we do adapt, but but you are right. Sales and marketing would be the main two personas. Usually we start with marketing. Okay. And sometimes we've got marketing saying, because marketing got the money for our stuff most of the time. And marketing would say sometimes, oh, no, no, we've got everything we need. And even if they say that we go to sales and say, oh, yeah, well, apparently you've got everything you need. <laughs> and, it's, and that's where you start to see the contrast. Yeah, I could, I could see how uh, there'd be very few sales leaders saying, yes, I've got everything I need. Thanks very much. <laughs> Um, let me let me change tax on you a little bit, Ray. So uh, there's no better way to get to know Ray than through one of these bullshit LinkedIn polls out there. Uh, so let me read you uh, a couple here. Actually, these are not quite as bullshit as some of them, but uh, let, let's go with these. So first one is Steve Schmidt, who's who's very active on LinkedIn. Um, his question was, so 500K is added to your 2022 sales budget to increase sales by 1.5 million. I don't know from what, but uh, let's say a big increase in sales. So you're getting, another, you're getting 500K to increase sales. Uh, so do you, A, hire more sales and marketing operations people? B, hire a specialist such as operatics or someone like that? Hire more SDRs or hire more AEs? What's going to yeah. get you to that uh, that increase in sales? I think it's a stage. So uh, it's my way of working is I like to spread my risk. So I would probably not invest everything into one, if I'm honest with you. I think that would be, that would be a bit silly. Um, I would definitely try to get an expert in the market to come, but I would also try on my own with my own team. I like the yeah. idea of sales and marketing operation because that means that you would get a better understanding of your ratio, your numbers, what's working, what's not working, and, and potentially help you to identify bottleneck or people in your team that are not working that you could also replace or things that you need to change in your team. So there is the idea of visibility and understanding of the current process with, with sales and marketing operation that I like. I would definitely invest particularly for the first quarter, if my sales cycle is six months, nine months, and I want to have a massive Q1 to get things moving. And, you know, we had lots of people in the cybersecurity space, uh, which I believe is, you know, we don't just do cybersecurity, but I know that Android is, well, you've got a lot of expertise. And the fact that RSA in San Francisco being postponed to June, that's messing up with a few plans. 
right? Mm. All those people who've got a six months, nine months of cycle, they expect RSI, they look at it, you know, rub their hands, think, ooh, that's 250, 500, 600 leads there and then for my 50K, 100K investment in that booth. Guess what? They're not coming. Yeah. And what you're going to do in June with RSI is 2023 number now. It's not 2022. So what do you do? So I'll take my 500K. I'll cut it in two. And I think to give you an answer, I'd say, I'd say outsourcer specialist in Q1 for a big push to see what works. I would take a third that I would put in sales and marketing operation so I can get a better understanding of my lead for process, what's working, what are my best sellers, who is buying and why. And I would keep the rest in my back pocket because if one of those two don't work, I need to probably get to the AE. Yeah. Which is getting a ticket to a place where my boss can't find me because I don't do my number. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a classic example of uh, a poll that's trying to get uh, simple answers to a complex problem, and then you get a nuanced answer. <laughs> I think I think you know it's just that, and and it's very difficult because you've it's, it's very difficult without having a very clear use case of where the company is at. Uh, if you tell me this is how much pipeline you've got, how many salespeople you've got, the conversion you've got, you, you can make obviously this is as you say it's a bit bullshit. It's like yeah. You know, those polls are here so people can get some likes and some stuff. And it's, it's about, it's yeah, about yeah. hype, right? It's about engagement. But it's it's still an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. Last one then uh, on, on, the, on the LinkedIn poll. So Adam Packard, when on a sales call, do you, A, use a script of some sort, B, no script, but follow a framework, or C, do a different call each and every time? Um, okay. Um, so if, if, if it's me, I'm definitely in the second category, but I've got to say something, you know, again, if, if I was to sell operatics, I've been at it for 10 years. There is yeah. not one question you can ask me that I've, I don't have an answer for. There is not one objection that I, you know, it's always the same objection, right? So we've got obviously a way to answer those objection. Uh, a way that we believe is smart, a way that we believe is, is intelligent, a way that we believe is honest. Um, but I don't like to have a scripted approach. I don't like to be rigid. When I go to a meeting, I need, I need to read the room. You know, I need to see if I'm with someone that wants to go first and want to tell me about all their problems. If that's the case, I don't care if I speak for 30 seconds. It's not about me that meeting is about them. I want to hear about right. their issues and I'm here to get information. I'm not here to tell them about what... If people just, you spend an hour with someone at the end and say, well, sorry, I've been speaking too much and telling you about my problem. What do you guys do at Operatics? I think that's a <laughs> successful call. I think that's a successful yeah, yeah. call because you, you've been yeah. very good at asking questions. You've been very good at doing solution selling. You, you, have, you clearly are a good salesperson because you have got empathy and you care about the problem of the person. You don't jump in to say, oh, I'm glad you say that because we do that. No, you just keep on digging, keep on digging, keep on uncovering. Yeah. And and so I, I liked, but sometimes you get to calls where, you know, I've, I've, we've got a fair few Israeli customers and you know, they usually have, uh, they like to be a bit more directive and they like to start with the business model first. And that's the one I will speak about cost first, um, mm -hmm. which is a terrible way to start a meeting. Because, yeah. you know, you speak about the cost without speaking of the value. So, but yeah. that's fine. So you've got to be ready for that. And, so I, th I think I will be in the second position. So yeah. I will have a, a framework. I know what I want to deliver. 
some of it will be a little bit scripted when I get to the topic, but I want to read the room and make sure that the people get what they want from the meeting. Yeah. Right. I, that, that, that's kind of how I would think about it as well. I think, that, I think as you get more senior, your framework is embedded in your mind anyway. As you get more junior, they need more help. They need more structure, you know, yeah. because they're, they don't have the experience that someone like you would have, right? It's, it's like hiring an AE at your company, you know, next week and somehow expecting them to operate like you do within a few weeks without giving them much help is, is not very effective to help them ramp, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, lots of that is confidence. And it's, it's, I think it's, it's also being – what I see from the sales guy in our team is passion is very important. Do they care about what they are selling? Do they actually believe in it? You know, do, do they? It's super important. Uh, yeah. I hate the things when people are saying, oh, yeah, that guy, could, that guy could, could sell ice to Eskimo. That means nothing to me. It's just like, I don't get that. It's like, it's not about speaking at them or trying to sell something. You know, I mean, you can do that if you do B2C potentially or you sell to low level people stuff for like $50, whatever. But you want to sell a complex deal? You want to help them to find the budget to buy your stuff because they don't have a line of budget for it. And you're going to be a bit smarter than that. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, Ray, I've enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, covered a lot of ground. I love one snippet was gamification for attitude, uh, pay for results. I really love that framing of how to think about, you know, the, the compensation and the motivation. Yeah of the team that you're working with. So there's a bunch of nuggets in here. I'll, I'll call them out for everyone afterwards, but uh, I love the conversation. If someone wants to get hold of you and they want to talk about uh, this whole area and getting some help, how would they get hold of you? Sure. Um, well, I'm quite very active on, uh, on, on LinkedIn. So my name is Aurélien Moutier. There is a couple, I think, but you know, I'm, I'm, you should find me. I should, I should come somewhere. Uh, Aurelien is A-U-R-E-L-I-E-N and which is M-O-T-T-I-E-R. My email address is Aurelien at operatics.net, uh, not .com or not anything else. So Operatics is O-P-E-R-A-T-I-X. Company is very active on LinkedIn. If you type Operatics, you'll find our website. If you type lots of things about SDR performance and things, you'll find our website. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, internet, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again for your time. Pleasure. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out. So how do you do that easily? There are two ways. Firstly, just simply send a link to a friend. Send a link to the show, to this episode. Um, you can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. And it explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do, and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.